Our agent, Marty Baum, said, look, if you guys want to just go make a film and be totally left alone, there are two new guys in town. Menachem Golden and Yoram Globus were the heavyweights. They were the George Foremans and the Muhammad Ali's of the indie market. Yoram Globus was the businessman behind the movie making. Where is my money? You promise and promise and promise and you're not paying. Menachem Golan was the movie maker. He redubbed me with an American voice, but not a voice similar to mine. A true ninja doesn't kill. He eliminates, and only for defensive purposes. He's so not ninja. I don't know, I've never seen a ninja. Ninja 3 The Domination managed to take The Exorcist, a ninja movie, and combine it with Flashdance. Nuts, just crazy nuts. Sometimes we make better films, sometimes we, we don't make such good films, but we do make films. One of my first questions was, how much money do you think you'll be spending on it? And they said, oh, probably $10 million. I think they ended up spending about $3.75 on it. The name of the game is to do, not just to blah, 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 blah. Talk about it. This year, the big hit for Golan and Globus is breaking. It really did something the United Nations was unable to do so far. Bring nations together under one groove. Really? I mean, that's insane. Hey everybody, it's the Cannon Cruisers. I'm JD. And I'm Randy, and this week we wanted to do something a little bit different and check out two documentaries. That's right, Randy, because we're doing things a little bit different now. That's because this is kind of a new series, kind of not. Uh, I don't know what we're calling this yet. We'll figure it out later. But for now, uh, let's just say we covered two documentaries from Canon Films from, at this point, a decade old, which I didn't realize when we were watching them. Now, yep, we checked out The Go-Go Boys, The Inside Story of Canon Films, yep. and Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. That's right. Both of them came out in the same year, 2014. And in true Canon fashion, yep. The Go-Go Boys was rushed into production so that it could beat the unauthorized uh, uh, Electric Boogaloo from being released. Yes, and it actually it actually did come out first. It ended up beating it by three months. Amazing. Uh, Some things never change. Yes. So what these obviously are about is about the history of canon films. Although this seems like something is like, of course, this is an obvious thing that someone would make a documentary about. Well, when they were made, it wasn't really that obvious of a, of a thing to make a documentary about. Because uh, when we started canon, Cruisers was only... 2017 that was after these movies were made and even then canon wasn't quite as uh, notorious or well known as they are now like they were notorious but they weren't talked about other than just being schlockmeisters mm -hmm. and video store rejects though as we discovered by watching both of these um there's a little bit more to that than we originally thought even back then there, if there's one thing I did learn from watching all these uh, documentaries, mm -hmm. Michael Winner sure was a winner. <laughs> there's a lot uh, in the, in this to go over, because strange as it is, the uh, the behind the scenes on Canon Films is probably as crazy as the actual movies are, which is saying something because the movies are wild. So, what should we start with, considering we covered two of them? Well. Honestly, they're both different types of documentaries. They are. Um, you have authorized and unauthorized. So mm -hmm. 
One is very obviously going to be a little bit more favorable to them, though mm. n- neither of them are that down on Not them really. at all. No, um, they're also a little bit different focus on the two of them because uh, the one they made is a bit more focused on their career from yep. the beginning to the end, and this one is more specifically focused on the broad strokes of canon films itself. Basically what we covered on the podcast. Yeah, more or less. So you, if you watch them both, you get more of a complete picture and you can kind of put two and two together on a lot of things in a way, so it kind of helps. And one thing that didn't uh, age very well is that they compared them to, um, oh, in modern terms, to Miramax. <laughs> uh, and we, we kind of went, oh, that one aged very poorly. Yeah, that- and then they then they... Compared the cousins to the Weinstein brothers. Like, <laughs> like they probably wanted to be the Weinstein brothers and run Miramax, and I don't think it was... I'm going to guess a couple years after this, they did not want to have anything to do with that. Manaka Maniorum have seemingly <laughs> kept their hands off the cast. That's the weird thing about watching both of these together, is you get the impression that they're really just really really into movies one of them's really into movies the other one's just kind of into movies but he likes money he likes the business side of it but it's pretty clear that together they have this weird encompassing view of what movies are and i think this is and and one of them wanted to make the movies but one of them wanted to own movie theaters yeah because they both love movies as a concept and an idea and that's one of the things i got more out of the uh the uh, the authorized one so to speak the go-go boys is how um, he started movie making at an early age. but So the, then let's start with the Go-Go Boys. We might as well, because that one talks more about the earlier uh, years where it gives you the impression that he really did like movies a lot. And you see the amount of stuff he produced. They showed a lot of clips from those movies. Uh, um, obviously, they're all Israeli because that's where they're from, Israel. And it's striking to see how much of that actually did make it into what would later be canon films it's like i didn't realize until watching uh these documentaries specifically the go-go boys that um Mm -hmm. the last american version was essentially a shot for shot remake of lemon popsicle but in english yeah i was a common practice back in the day it doesn't happen too much anymore because you can get pretty much any movie now anywhere but back then like making a remake of a movie well i we had this other studio it was a hit over there. Why don't we just do it over here? And that's what they did. And it ended up explaining like like why there's some like stuff in the movie is like that's kind of weird culturally. Well, that's because it's not from this culture. Which is another thing too is because they're Israeli and they grew up in Israel. You because you get a lot of that. So. You, you you mean the uh, bringing a uh, Christmas tree yeah. and some oranges to uh, to a woman after they got a major procedure, i.e., an abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's weird because like the. The early stuff, obviously, is very Israeli because, you know, Israel, that's where they grew up. That's where they are. But it they also really liked American movies, uh, American-style movies as well. And when they came over here, they wanted Canon Films specifically. That's why they bought Canon Films, is they wanted that market. They wanted to make movies like that. And you left out that they were cheap. <laughs> well, yeah, they were cheap because they were a B-movie studio. <clears throat> studio. And to make movies fast... You have to make them cheap. Nobody can make... That's another thing, too, they also cover is it's not the old studio system anymore. To make a lot of movies, you need a lot of money, but you also need to know how to use the money. And uh, for a while, they did. 
what uh what really took me uh back about it is when uh they were talking about like how they saw American movies and how they saw like Israeli movies. It starts to make sense as to why canon kind of became the way it did and the way they kind of merged both business practices together and also directing and writing styles because you even see like when he clashes with people, they don't quite understand sometimes what he's getting at, like when he's talking to a an ape, which is one of the craziest stories. Yeah, save that for the discussion of yeah. Electric Boogaloo. It's just, it's just like... They're even by their standards, they're out there guys, but it's very clear that they're the move the movies they have in their heads, the pictures they have in their minds of what American movies are is filtered through where they came from and what their expectations are against the reality of what it is. So that the two of them kind of come together, and that's how you get weird things like Ninja 3, the domination, something no one else would ever be able to make. No, that's why we got the apple, because they thought that and it would the be uh, their Tommy. That's the sort of thing you get from that kind of weirdness. It's And it's just embedded in them. There's no way they ever would have been able to make anything else other than that kind of stuff. It's just not possible. I did like that the, the Go-Go Boys uh, documentary just very much focused on them and not on the pure insanity mm-hmm. that canon films was in the fact that we actually have another documentary that we could talk about like they said just mm-hmm. uh, the the electric boogaloo documentary which is just not so much here are the people people mm-hmm. but here is why this here is the insanity of canon and this is why they're notorious and well known so so, so of- they're very good counterpoints to each other because so you get to see the human side and you get to see the not so human side of it all <laughs> and the craziness of it and sometimes even the more humble parts of it so it's it's like a contrast back and forth then when you watch them together it gives you more of a full picture more of an impression of it and also like uh reinforces that the decision to cover canon as so many people do now is a good idea because there's a lot to talk about as we've already done we have it's almost been 10 minutes and we've barely talked about anything so like we said, the Go-Go Boys is more focused on them. But the other documentary is a bit more Hollywood, I guess. It's yeah. more fast-paced. It talks more like broad strokes. It has more clips of movies. Oddly enough, both movies seem to talk about different movies. Yeah, they both talk weird. about different films. They were um, made at the same time, so it's weird that they And, and, that and like I said, it's like the Electric Boogaloo, the untold wild tales of canon films. Mm-hmm very much focuses on the insanity that was canon films, not the movie-making process, mm-hmm. not the money side, mm-hmm. though it did do a better job of covering their financial issues and the legalities surrounding it that the authorized one didn't do for obvious reasons. Well, if you get into that one, you have to get like, yeah, we got tricked by a mobster. <laughs> yeah, but also mean. you had uh, you have uh, Menachem out there saying that, oh, no, none of my failures exist. I never failed. Mm-hmm. And because if there's a bit failure, I erase it from my mind so mm-hmm. that I can go on and do the next one. Yeah, that explains a lot of how his process works and Though it was a weakness of canon, it was also a strength of canon because the only real mistake they they made was overextending themselves. That's that was what I ended up getting out of both of these documentaries is that yeah. if they had st- stuck in their lane and not tried to blow up yeah. uh, and become a big budget studio like twelve million to uh, mm-hmm. to Stallone for Over the Top, a movie I actually enjoy. Mm-hmm. 
but slashing the budget of Superman to where most of the budget is paying for the actors in it and not for any special effects. So you can't even compare with the WB uh, Superman movies. They could have probably eaten over the top as a loss if they would have just done more stuff like Bloodsport, for instance. But they didn't. That was the big issue. Like Superman, if you were not going to spend on Superman, and as we learned, they couldn't, they should never, they should never have done it. Like, even if they would have picked like any other superhero, like they probably would have done a better job on it because it wouldn't have needed that much focus on special effects that they couldn't afford. And by the end, even they, uh, they also split up and le- led to. The whole Lombada fiasco. That is my favorite thing that is just kind of like they mm-hmm. both they both rush to film as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. It's like both screen playwriters are basically talking with each other as they're competing to do it. Like, I can do it. This, we can do it this fast. I can do it mm-hmm. this fast. Just so that the both films release on the same day. And cannibalize a, and each cannibalize other. each other. Yeah. And neither of them being a success. Which is which was the proof is was that this was not the direction to go in. And the other thing was also like you should have waited for the trend to show up, not tried to make the trend, which is something they didn't really do before. Like they caught uh, with breaking, they caught breakdancing before it became a thing. They were the first one out. And even though like Beach Street was in production, it was not in production before them. (laughs) Even then, it still didn't come out before them. And it wasn't even as big a hit. And they even managed to do a second movie. I'm like, I'm like, didn't they get Beat Street? Uh, like, didn't they get both breaking movies out before Beat Street even were released? Like, I think by the time Beat Street came out, the it was already kind of moving on from uh, breakdancing to the next thing. So I don't think it was that big of a hit. So like, they did the right thing in that one. They made they made Breaking, which was a hit. Then they made Breaking Two, which was let's turn it up even further and. That no, movie's from, infamous. So from what I learned and this is that they, they the actors weren't very happy with either of the films. Yeah, probably not. The, especially the second one uh, being very much fake with all the pastels, even though that's what people think of when they think of the 80s. Well, that's also the thing, too, is, their, as I said before, their version or their vision of American movies is like this weird dream version that they have embedded inside themselves that they filter everything through. So, like, if you say, like, well, people in L.A. Wear, wear this, it's like, that doesn't matter. That's not the movie. The movie is this. So when you watch, like, Breaking 2, you're not watching L.A. You're watching this is the canon version of L.A. This is the post-apocalyptic world of L.A. This is... Yeah, uh, everything they do. It's been 10 years since the Chernobyl disaster, and canon films has tried to create recreate all of culture. This is them doing that. That's the weird part about a, any canon movie you watch, is it's a weird... It's a weird brand that only canon did. Like, I don't think you could really... You can really confuse anything they did with anybody else's, even from the era. Because we've also covered... Plenty of non-canons that were like, this is a low-budget, you know, B-movie. But they still don't always really feel much like canon. Even the ones that are, you know, good or closer to like, I don't know, like quality of the Apple or something like that. They just, they still don't really feel very canon. I think the closest might have been like, um, what's that one? Um, uh, American Kickboxer 2, that was the one where they start with the... The, the, the pool and the guys come out of the 
the the, the chopper. Oh, you mean my favorite scene where we're, we're that thinking that, that it's all going to start with the kid dying in the pool, and then it's like, nope, yeah. it starts with a kidnapping? That's like the closest thing that uh, uh, we've watched a non-canon film that's felt like a canon movie to me. And that's saying something considering we've covered like 130 or something non-canon movies, and that's the closest thing I can think of. It's a weird... Uh, it's a weird studio, and it's definitely helped by the fact that they produced a lot. I mean, uh, you could, you could, might, you might be able to criticize, like maybe they should have just produced less. Eh. Produce less, and maybe focus on quality over quantity. Eh. Like instead of re- uh, releasing eighty movies in a year, maybe release only twenty. Maybe release only twelve one movie per month. Yeah, but then we wouldn't have had a, a lot of the fun stuff we've had either. And even like the, some of the stuff we don't like is a lot of stuff that other people do. Because like you wouldn't. Get... You mean to tell me there are people actually out there that like going bananas? We apparently do. <laughs> okay, that was an error, and I'm going to live with it. But that, there's no way that should have been on our top 100 list. Well, that movie is so bizarre, even by canon standards. I mean, the, the whole The story. only thing, the only thing that actually makes it deserve to be on the list is the anecdote they give in the uh, Electric Boogaloo documentary where we're mm. told that Menachem talked to Clyde the monkey from every which way from loose like he was a human being mm. and basically asking him for his input and giving him his vision. You love for- this boy. You want to be with this boy. He's your best friend. And at the end of the movie, he's going he's gonna to leave and you're going to have emotion. Your heart's going to break. Uh, and then the lawyer's going, so is the monkey supposed to talk? And then he gets, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't decided yet. He even gets on the desk, standing on the desk and is like like narrating the entire part of the movie. And pretending to be the monkey as he's <laughs> doing it. And it's like, why are you, what, what, what's wrong with you? That is so crazy. But like, that's the sort of thing that gave canon its... Uh, and then they replace him with Deep Roy, and it's just Deep Roy in a monkey costume. Yeah, for some of the scenes when there's no monkey around, it's just, and it's so obviously it's a guy in a costume, so it just does not work. And then he talks! But like we said, some some of what Canon did work, some of it didn't. That's just the sort of approach this sort of thing takes. When you put out that many movies, some's gonna, some's gonna work, some isn't. It's just, it's, like, it's just the way it is with Canon. And like I said, to me, I, I kind of find that's part of the appeal of it. And that's why we've managed to make so many episodes about so many of the movies. And that was partially just because we got lucky at the end. And, start, and they suddenly started falling out of the sky at some point with yeah. re-releases or leaks. Or... Yeah, that was like like I said uh, near the beginning. is like When we started this, canon was not that easy to get into. Like our first season, uh, we tried to cover movies from 1980 through 1984, which is... Like the first almost half of their existence as a company because we couldn't find a lot of stuff. Like a lot of the stuff just wasn't available. And it's not even, and we're not even talking like uh, illegal means or anything like that. Just mean like there were no VHSs to find, there were no DVDs to find, Blu rays even at the time, not that common. And some of these movies were so hard to find that we ended up watching the same rip of the same movie twice, i.e. Uh, Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. Yeah, because some of them have not been released even in the time span since we started this, which was like... Thankfully. Well, that one. I don't think anybody's clamoring for that one. But yeah, Next that's... Next week from Kino, Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype, brought to you by the, the well, Canon Cruisers. Oh, well, there's still a bunch of Canon movies that still haven't been released that probably should have. Yeah. But not Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. That's definitely not one of them. So, mm-hmm. 
I, th- it's hard to do this when you're talking about a documentary, but mm-hmm. what is your highlight of these, do- of the documentaries of, of, let's say go, go boys. And then you can tell me what your highlight of the untold uh, of the electric boogaloo one. Go, go boys. I liked how it went through their entire like career because it's literally their entire career because it ends just before Golan actually did die in real yeah, life. Yeah, that's it. So and it you is. could see him getting sicker and sicker. Yeah. Cause like the beginning, it starts right when they say when he first decided he wanted to make movies and the entire thing just goes through pretty much the entire process and it doesn't just focus exclusively on canon which you know i don't know a lot of people would probably want but that's what the other documentary is for this one is just shows how they started how they got there how they left and where they ended up and 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 i'm gonna cop out here and say that's the exact thing that's my highlight of the the film Mm -hmm. and my and my highlight of the uh Mm-hmm. Uh, of the electric boogaloo which was going to be what you were going to talk about next but i'm going to say mm-hmm. it's just that to get that behind the scenes look from other people not just from mm-hmm. Menachem and yoram well you get to see people per- per- perspective from people who, who like, may have been in one movie with them who, who actually enjoyed working on the films who didn't enjoy working on the films who, people who knew them people who didn't know them people who knew them and didn't like them or did like them you know so you get a lot of different perspectives on that part and also we find out that Sylvia Crystal can't act. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they talked about a couple of the movies we actually haven't covered on Canon Cruisers. And when you watch the documentary, you'll say, oh, that's why they didn't cover it, because there's nothing to talk about. Even the movies themselves, it's just... I guess, I guess Sylvia Crystal's uh, nipples were kind of okay in that in, it's just, in uh, it's just funny Matahari. It's just funny because of the, the way they talked about those movies, even... Golan and Globus said, "Yeah, we don't. We don't even want to do these movies. We're just have. Have them. you even read uh, Lady Shatterley's Lover? No, no. Everybody just thinks it's a uh, a porno, basically. Open so. door, fucking. So that's what we're gonna do. Yeah, that's pretty much. That's pretty much it. So, like, so when, when, what, you, when you put the two of them together, like you get the full. You get the picture, full picture. Which yeah. Is nice. So, what would be your low light of it of the each documentary? I don't know if I can say a low light because I think the other one just kind of covers what other weaknesses the other has. So it doesn't really matter to me because if you watch them both, which I think you probably should, if you have any interest in canon, there's not you don't really miss much. I guess if I would say anything, it would be that I wish they talked a bit more about certain projects or movies that didn't really get much uh, talk or play. Like uh, I could also say like an untold story. They didn't really talk about Bloodsport, which was like, you know, my favorite one. But they talked about it a bit in the other one, so it's not that big of a deal. Again, anything I would just pull up will be, well, the other one has it, so... Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like I'm trying to think of, of if, if anything, that there isn't really any lowlights for each of the movies. Because like you said, it's like if you if you, if you, if know you watch both of them, they fill in the, the blanks for each other. Yeah, so it's kind of like a complete picture thing. So like I would just recommend watching them both, really. But if you had to choose J.D., which one of these two would you recommend over the other? I wouldn't. I don't think the on their own, you don't get the full picture. And like it'd be entertaining enough, I would say. Like you just want to know about like the history of these two guys, you can watch Go Go Boys. But if you just want to know the broad strokes of canon, uh, watch the other one. It's like one I found was more fun. The other one was more informative. Yeah, like I said, there's different. It depends on what you're looking for. But for me, I kind of prefer them both together because. One, like one was very clearly a Brett Ratner film. Yeah, because it's very fast-paced and just goes in and out all over the place. The other one is more uh, leisurely paced. You get you get a lot of information. So yeah, I would just say them, I would just pick them both. It's a cop-out answer, but it's the only one I can think of. Every time I've 
ever watched that I just watch them both. And now to keep the tradition alive, I guess you would be giving that a four out of five for each of them. Four out of five for both. Yep. Over combining them together. Yeah, the complete sure. package. Sure. Like, uh, we don't, obviously we don't cover documentaries on here because we don't usually do it, but since it's canon films and we've talked about so many canon films, if you've seen as many canon films as we have, then I say this is pr- both of them are pretty much must watches. <laughs> Yeah, they they are must watches. Uh, one of them is very hard to find. Yeah. You will find them find it in the usual places. Yeah, uh, it the, goes in and out of print a lot for some. Yeah, uh, but the other one, which we thought was a lot more recent than the other, but turns out they were same year. Same had, just year. had a recently had within like the last two years a Blu-ray uh, release of it, the Go Go Boys. Yeah, so that one's a lot more easier to find, and that one used to be harder to find. So it, yeah. it just goes in and out. But in the end, you could. You can go with either one of them, and you won't be uh, won't be disappointed. It's a good time. So yeah, that's pretty much it for those movies. And the reason I wanted to start with those ones is because, well, first to show that we're doing things a little bit different from now on, and that we don't know what we're doing next. <laughs> we don't. Oh, I know what I want to watch next, but whether JD agrees with me. Well, there's a lot of stuff we can go through, and probably will go through. Because, but the um, question is: Is do we change the format? Do we remain a movie podcast? Probably. Um, or do we become something else? We're mostly still going to be talking about these kinds of movies from like studios like Canon mostly. And probably still other Canon movies because there's a bunch, again, we still haven't gotten to that we can still get to. I mean, I st- I'm still trying to pitch to JDS doing using mm. the Everyday Heroes engine and doing a replay of Highlander, which they actually do have a source book for. There's a lot of different things, but... Like, uh, I guess this this episode is episode one, though I guess it's technically episode 301 because we combined the two episode counts. So whatever we end up titling this is just going to be the name of the series going forward. Canon Cruisers, I don't know, Rewind or ah, something, it's just, whatever. It's just Canon Cruisers. It's, it's, we're stuck with that name from now on. I don't know. We'll probably call it Canon Cruisers, like Rewind or some extra title on the end. Whatever we call it is whatever we call it. But anyway... Cannon Cruisers, The Domination. Cannon Cruisers, The Revenge. Yeah, we can call it a sequel if we want. The Columbian Connection. <laughs> like Brad, Braddock, The Cannon Cruisers. You uh, uh, oh, can just call it anything, really, at this oh, point. We, we, we just change the name every episode to just be a reference to Cannon films. We could. But yeah, that's... Uh, Over that's, the Cannon Cruisers. Yeah, but yeah, that's pretty much where, it, uh, where it's at. And like, uh, we're just going to record these whenever we feel like it and put them out whenever we want because there's we're doing about 300 of them. So whatever. At this point, we got to do whatever we feel like. All right. So that's it for this one, everybody. And we'll see you next time we continue our cruise through whatever catalog we decide to go through. We're free. We can do whatever we yep. want. So, But we're still podcasting, oddly enough. We're still going to do stuff like this. But anyway, we'll see you next time, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. We're Canon Films, and we're Dynamite. Eliminates, and only for defensive purposes. He's so... Not Ninja. I don't know. I've never seen a Ninja. Ninja 3 The Domination managed to take The Exorcist, a Ninja movie, and combine it with Flashdance. Nuts. Just crazy nuts. Sometimes we make better films. Sometimes we, we don't make such good films. But we do make films. One of my first questions was, how much money do you think you'll be spending on it? And they said, oh, probably $10 million. I think they ended up spending about $3.75 on it. 
The name of the game is to do, not just to blah, 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 blah. Talk about it. This year, the big hit for Golan and Globus is breaking. So it really did something the United Nations was unable to do so far. Bring nations together under one groove. Really? I mean, that's insane. The audience wasn't prepared for the craziness, the looniness. I felt a little stupid doing it. Clyde the orangutan came to the office. I Menachem's deciding whether to sign the orangutan to put him under contract. It was crazy, talking to a monkey. This would be an epic of cinema. Blockbuster of the century. Oh, God, we are in so much trouble. And that's why They put a stamp on pop culture. It's hard to say words canon films without laughing. At the end of the movie, I had tears in my eyes. Menachem says, aha, I got you. I was crying because I saw my career going down the toilet and I didn't know what I was going to do next. I hold them in huge affection, even though they ruined their movie.